Judges 13, 13. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. He wanted to cook him goat stew. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask me my name, seeing it is too wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, <laughs> I just like this, she's cool, calm, and collected. But his wife had said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I'm going to save verse number 24 for next time. This is a weird encounter. And, and I don't mean that irreverently. I mean, listen, God's God and we're very different. And pretty much any time we encounter the Lord, it's going to have some aspect of strange on it. It's just weird because he is altogether different than us and what's amazing is god is still creative so he loves to be creative in how he intersects his people and you know we have a very boxed in way i hit this last time we have a very boxed in way of assuming how god works and we also anything outside of that box we're skeptical that's probably not god and even the most liberated person in the room even the flaming most flaming charismatic person in the room you still have a box i still have a box God does not honor our boxes. So the longer we walk with the Lord, let me tell you, the more aware and receptive we need to be to the verse in the Bible that's not actually in the Bible, but it's still a true statement. What is it? God works in mysterious ways. It's the most famous verse in the Bible that was never in the Bible. But it's still true. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this tonight, and although the surface reading of it, you're like, man, what are you going to do with a passage like this? I'm going to tell you, there's some great stuff in here, and I'm actually doubly encouraged that Joy was hitting on this in her song tonight, and uh, so we're going to get to build some holy redundancy into this. So first of all, it's going to start really low. It's going to start with something that nobody's going to get up and shout hallelujah on. It is this issue of the culture of heaven including authority and accountability. This is where we begin tonight. We're going to end up ascending in a flame to heaven tonight, but we're going to start out at the brass tacks, bedrock foundation of any life that ever hopes to experience deepening presence and manifest power of God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this issue of our needing to recognize that the culture of heaven 
is grounded in part as, as it pertains to us in obedience and accountability. We are actually accountable to be obedient to God Almighty. And it's going to be very clear in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Manoah what that looked like. Now remember, the last question Manoah said is, what kind of life is my prophesied son going to have? And what's going to be his mission? So he knows the baby's going to be coming soon. And he's asking, how do we raise our child so that he fulfills the mission of the Lord? And he's asking this angelic visitor. That's what he thinks. He thinks it's a human prophet. The, the cursory reading makes it sound like it's just an angel. But in this passage, you find out it's neither of those things. It's actually God. But Manoah says this, how do we raise this kid? Well, first of all, look at verse 13. Look what the angel says. He reveals that we are bound as human beings to obey God's commands. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, I keep almost saying manure. I need to be very careful here. I said that like three times. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Now, I like this. Ladies, be encouraged with this. Um, this is not too uncommon. So God's working in Mrs. Manoah's life. And Mr. Manoah, being the head of his home and very patriarchal society, he, he does seem to want to hijack the whole thing, even going back earlier in the chapter. He wants to meet the prophet. He wants to talk to the man who's talking to his wife. And he comes in, so he says, okay, let me, let's you and I have this conversation. Tell me, what's it going to be like for my son? What do we need to do and what is his mission? And the, the angel looks at Manoah and, and he says, basically, I already told her, ask her. Everything I told her, that's what needs to happen. And I love the fact that there seems to be, on the part of the Lord here, um, a desire to kind of keep this thing in part between himself and the wife of Manoah. It, it's almost as if Manoah's going to have a part. We'll find it out in a second. But it's almost as if the prophetic word really wasn't meant primarily for Manoah, but for Manoah's wife. And so when the answer is coming, it's going directly to the woman. The husband is seeking to get in on it. And I don't blame him. If God's working in Amy's life, I want in on whatever's happening. But sometimes we've got to realize that God reserves the right to work with individuals even that we're married to or that we're close to. And we actually don't get an invitation to the party sometimes. sometimes Sometimes it's just about him and his other child in that moment. Well, go down into verse number 14. We've got to be responsible to remember what the Lord has already revealed. So we get a little rehearsal here. Here's what she was required to do, and he gives a review. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. If you were not here for the first message in this series, what had happened is that God had assigned to Samson, while he was still in the womb, a Nazarite calling. I don't have time to really unpack everything about a Nazarite calling, but this is the gist of it. A Nazarite was an individual who made a vow unto the Lord for a specific amount of time to fully consecrate himself or herself unto the Lord. And it involved things like not drinking wine, not cutting your hair, not being able to come anywhere near any dead body, just kind of, it's a little strange, not eating any unkosher foods, but it was an outward consecration motivated by an inward desire to get close to God, but it was completely voluntary. An individual got to decide for him or herself that they wanted to do this for the Lord, but Samson was different. Before Samson was ever conceived, the will of God was decreed over his life that he's going to be a Nazarite from the womb. In other words, his whole life, 
was ordained by God to be dedicated to God at a level that was higher than anybody else in the land. That was God's desire. And so in order for that to happen, there had to be some prenatal instructions given to Mrs. Manoah. Listen, he won't be drinking wine. He's not allowed to drink wine when he is growing up. I don't want you having any wine while he's in the womb. I don't even want you to eat raisins. I don't want you to have grapes. I don't want you to eat any unclean food. So all of these instructions had been given. Now, why do I even bother saying this? Because this sounds like a whole lot of drivel right now, but it's important. It illustrates something. That when God, God had already given all of these instructions to Mrs. Manoah, Mr. Manoah had heard it from his wife, but here he is again, they're wanting to know, what are we supposed to do? And God's mind had not changed. Do you know how easy it is? And there had been a few days in between the original visit and this, this setting right here. There had been a couple of days. Do you know how common it is? For us to hear a word from the Lord, for us to receive it, for us to learn something out of Scripture that is crystal clear, and then some unspecified amount of time goes by, and what was crystal clear on day one all of a sudden becomes foggy later on. Do you know, do you know that your flesh and my flesh, at times, will try to talk you out of something because there's been a delay from when the word was given, or the commandment was given, or the instruction was given, versus where you are today? But the best I can tell is that if God ever decides to shift something on us, he will make that crystal clear. He had not done that for them. It was still binding. It was still accountability, and they still were called to obey. Now, this may sound a little over the top, and let me just go ahead and pastor us through this for a moment with the Scripture. Friends, God is not relating to us on a barter system. That's not the way he operates. So we're not blessed by God because of our obedience. We're blessed through our obedience. You see, obedience is the gateway to favor and blessing. And I will be very bold with this. Disobedient believers have zero rightful expectation to ever experience the sustained blessing of God. Now, I know that may sound legalistic, but I want you to just flip that statement and see if this sounds biblical. Yeah, God will bless anybody. It doesn't matter if they obey or not. See, that sounds more foreign to the Christian faith than, than the idea of God will take your obedience, and he's not blessing you in some legalistic transaction. You obey, I'm nice to you. You disobey, I'm mean to you. That's not what it is. Obedience is for our blessing. The very best that God has to offer is on the other side of us obeying his wisdom, trusting his heart, leaning not to our own understanding, but in a, in a lifestyle of surrender and submission and trust. Obedience is the fruit of trust. In our lives, if we are in and out of obedience or living in a season of prolonged disobedience, the root factor is we don't trust God. We've gotten disconnected from our confidence that he's reliable. And so what he's doing here is he's coming back and he's saying to Mr. and Mrs. Manoah, I've already told you exactly what to do. Now look at what he says to Mr. Manoah at the end of verse number 14. This is important. We are to honor God's will in the lives of others. Look at this word to the man. The, the, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, who they think is a prophet, looks at the man and says to Mr. Manoah, all that I have commanded your wife, you let her, you let her obey it. You let her do it. All that I commanded her, let her observe. 
This one really, I just kind of got my, my heart wrapped around this today. It's amazing to me that God recognizes the fact that because our personal relationships with each other are, are so close at times, especially if you're, if you're married here, if you've got kids, you've got um, some, somebody that you're so tight with, you're either one with in a covenant of marriage or that you're one with by blood and you're doing life together, do you realize the decisions we make either enhance the ability of our loved ones to obey God or they interfere with the ability of our loved ones to obey God? So what, what does that look like? Well, I'm the head of my household. I believe that's the biblical pattern that the husband is the head of his household. And so it is my calling to lead in love. That is my calling. And so when I am doing that, I make decisions, I set trajectories, I try to set up the framework to where we can coexist as a family unit. But let me tell you what I also recognize. I'm living with three other Christians who hear the Lord. Three other Christians who have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Three other people who have the inhabiting Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct them. So I have to be constantly aware to value what God is doing in their lives. I listen to my wife. Now, you, you guys that are misogynistic and you're caveman and you're going to rule the roost and all of that, and you think it's unspiritual to listen to your wife, I'm just going to challenge you. Let me provoke you here for a minute. I think it's unspiritual not to listen to your wife. Why? Because she's a daughter of God. There's no like, she's got eight-tenths of the Holy Spirit because she's a woman? What, I mean, what are we thinking here? And so there are times where Amy and I will be dialoguing about stuff over the years, and God will give her a word of wisdom. He'll give her a word. She's got better discernment on certain things, and I don't come within a million miles of it. And so there are times where I might, wanting to be do, I might want to be doing A, B, or C, and Amy's hearing from the Lord. She says, I actually think it's D, E, and F. And in that moment, I've got to decide, is she hearing from the Lord? Is this something strong and a conviction in her? And if I make a contrary decision, am I actually interfering with her and therefore our family obeying the will of the Lord? See, friends, listen. Following Jesus is glorious and it is beautiful and it is meant to be relational and it's supposed to have oil on it and it's not supposed to be staggering. But it's not thoughtless. It's not casual. It's not cavalier. It's not flippant. That literally the foundation from which we launch into the heavenlies, because everybody wants to reach the ecstatic heights with God. We want to see the signs. We want to see the wonders. We want to experience the power. We want heaven to invade earth. We want all of that great, awesome stuff. But it is unlikely that we can experience that until we have laid a consistent foundation of obeying God because we love and we trust him. And, and when we're doing it together, I preached on community last Sunday. When we're doing it together, that means we actually have to be humble enough to be aware that it's not just about me making my decisions with the Lord. I'm doing life with others. And the command given to Manoah was, whatever you're doing, Manoah, I'm amplifying it here. You make sure that you will let her obey what I've told her. And that is a heavy thought. So, now that I've gotten our attention, let's get into some of, the, um, some of the mystery of what takes place in this passage of Scripture. So, go down to verse number 15. Because not only does the culture of heaven include authority and accountability, but it also includes or contains reverence and mystery because Manoah is about to have his eyes open. Now remember, he's asking for data. Hey, tell me this. Hey, tell me this. Hey, tell me this. Hey, tell me this. 
And the Lord's not being overly cooperative with Manoah, and it's about to get a little bit thicker for him. First of all, I want to give you something. I don't want you to be afraid of this, but I want us all to recognize it. This is not what we should fear, but we should be humble enough to recognize it, and it should slow us down a little bit. What am I talking about? We can actually miss heaven's activity, like among us. I can miss the activity, the presence, the revelation of God, the work of God. I can miss that in my life if I'm not careful. Check out verse number 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. That's just cultural. They're saying, hey, you've been kind to us. Stay in to eat with us. It's very hospitable action. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering and offer it to the Lord, and then here's the footnote, for Manoah did not know that he was in, or that he was the angel of the Lord. Now very quickly here, because some of you are new to the faith, some of you are new to scripture, every time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament does not mean it is an angel from the Lord. Let me give you a word, it's a theological word, it's a word called theophany, T-H-E-O, um, <laughs> ophany. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've been in seminary. But it, what it means is it is a, a, an, a pre-incarnate appearance of God the Son before he was Jesus Christ. So you've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son became Jesus Christ. His human name was Jesus. His, his messianic title was Christ. His divine title was Lord. Before that, he pre-existed and he made appearances in the Old Testament, and oftentimes those appearances are referred to as the angel of the Lord. And so you have to let the context of the passage tell you, was it an actual angel or was it God coming as a heavenly messenger? And so in this case, Manoah still thinks he's dealing with some mysterious prophet here. And so he is saying to the prophet, hey, what we typically do is when somebody's nice to us and you're passing through, let us feed you. Now, now remember the time. The time that they're living in is a time of oppression. The Philistines are dominating the land. There's not a lot of money flowing. Manoah and his wife are, are just a couple by themselves with no kids. It doesn't paint this picture of opulence or wealth or a whole lot of joy. It seems like a really difficult time. But they've got this awesome word from this guy that they think is a prophet. And they say, hey, well, come on, man. Let's, let's, let's take one of our goats and, and let's, let's have a meal. Let's celebrate this moment. And the prophet the guy they think's the prophet just says i ain't eating none of your food i mean just shot blocks the hospitality that manoah is offering but immediately before manoah's heart could sink or miss manoah could get her feelings hurt because she thinks the prophet assumes she can't cook or something so she she they, they the, the prophet the angel the the lord says but if you want to take that same goat and you want to get some grain and you want to offer up an offering unto Yahweh, I'll hang with you. I'll stay here. You see, the, the need in Manoah's life was to come out of this horizontal thing he was in. Everything to Manoah seemed human and natural. He knew he was in the middle of a significant moment, an important moment. 
but he still didn't realize how supernatural it was. This was not going to be a divine miracle conception. They were going to conceive the baby by normal and natural means. So this wasn't like, um, you know, Mary or Elizabeth and Zechariah. This was just going to be a normal conception. So they're just thinking they're getting good news from the prophet. They're going to go on a second honeymoon, and they're going to have a baby nine months later. But it's more than that. And so the Lord is trying to gain the attention of Manoah and, and get him to realize you're in the presence of God. So what does he do? He says, set up a burnt offering unto the Lord. Now, do you remember, I think it's Hebrews 13, um, tells us to practice the gift of hospitality. Hebrews 13 too. Practice the gift of hospitality because when you do so, there are times you're going to be entertaining angels and you won't even know they're angels. Now, that's kind of a big thought. You know what that tells us? The bottom line, the, the least that that can be telling us is there are angels throughout the age of the earth's history that will appear as human beings. You might be sitting one, next to one tonight. You never you said, Jeff, I'm married. I, that is not an angel. But <laughs> my point being is, listen... I believe I have probably encountered human angels. I believe you probably have too. The, the problem for me is, is I don't know if I have. So chances are that we've all encountered angels and not all of them will be nine feet tall with glorious glowing bodies and powerful strong arms. Some of them will look like that because they're portrayed that way in scripture. Sometimes they're gonna look like a person that is dressed like you, that looks modern, looks nondescript. Manoah's in the presence of not just an angel, but a theophany. He's in the presence of God, and he didn't know it. I'm going to take a back door to encourage you right now. Everybody in the room has been through seasons where you feel like God is hundreds of miles away. Um, I, I can tell you, I remember going through just seasons that drove me mad, just God, where are you? Why aren't you speaking? How come I don't feel you? How come you're not talking to me? Holy Spirit, I know I have you. And by the way, during those seasons, I'm, I'm, I'm being obedient. I'm being faithful. I'm pressing in. I'm calling out. I'm crying out. I'm praying in the Spirit. I'm doing all the things I normally do, but I don't sense the overwhelming presence of God. And in moments like that, you can be tempted to feel like you've lost him. He's lost you. He's mad at you. If you live with a, a, a shame stigma attached to your life, you can feel like you've done something wrong or he's finally gotten sick and tired of you because you asked for forgiveness on that same sin for the 153,000th time. And God's just finally said, look, I'm gracious, but I'm not that gracious. And your, your mind plays tricks on you and the enemy gets in there and the flesh does. But here's the thing about it. Manoah is standing in the presence of God. It's not, he's in the presence of God. It's God the Son who has veiled his glory, taken upon some, some uh, form of a human being, but he's in the presence of God and he has no clue. Why do I want to encourage you with this? Because I want to tell you something. I just want to eradicate all of the self-doubt, all the insecurity, all the attacks and accusations of the devil that probably come at you more often than a word like I'm about to give. When the enemy tells you he's gone, he's abandoned you, God doesn't love you anymore, or you say to yourself, you know, I'm just, I'm one of those, I'm not, I'm not one of his favorites, he doesn't speak to me like he speaks to others, he doesn't love me as much, I know he forensically loves me and he's judicially pardoned me, but God doesn't really like me and God's not really interested. Listen, I, I hope somebody in the room has struggled with that because, I mean, it's very common. 
I just want to tell all of us, guys, God didn't come in the person of Jesus Christ and do everything that he did and endure everything that he endured and promise everything that he promised to keep a distance between you and him, to forsake you, because he said he never would, to abandon you, to belittle you, to renounce you, or to put you in the, on the B team, in the not-so-wonderful group. That's, that's such a lie from our flesh and from the pit. We'll say, well, Jeff, I want to feel him. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Um, is he good when you don't feel him? Is he faithful when you don't feel him? Is he praiseworthy when you don't feel him? He is all of those things, and sometimes faith is not feeling like you and God are just rocking in sync and everything's great, and he's at your right hand, and you're at his right hand, and y'all are just like that. Sometimes faith is not that. Sometimes faith is Job chapter 23. I go forward, I don't know where he is. I look behind me, I don't know where he is. I turn to the right hand, he's not there. I turn to the left hand, he's not there. And you know what Job said? Job didn't scream, God, why have you forsaken me? Job said, I don't know where he is, but he knows where I am. And, and friends, sometimes that's, that's like the organic seed of faith, the irreducible minimum of faith is, I have no idea what you're doing, I don't know where you are, I'm asking you for answers, you're silent, I don't, and instead of despairing, instead of imploding, instead of self-loathing, instead of fear, you just say, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing, but I do remember what you said, and I'm going to praise you even when I don't feel you, even when the enemy is talking loud in my ear, even when my flesh doesn't want to praise you, I'm going to do it because you're worthy whether I'm feeling it in the moment or I'm not feeling it. And what's amazing, friends, is that idea that he has abandoned and he's forsaken. Listen, we've all wondered at times, more than likely, unless you got saved this morning, you have probably wondered somewhere along your journey, where are you, God? I'm going to tell you, you're in his presence, he's in your presence, even when you don't know it. And Manoah, he doesn't come off as the most sharp knife in the drawer, but he's just a guy who, who, who's not getting it, but he's about to. He's been saying God to God, tell me, tell me, tell me. He, he wants answers. He's about to do it again. Look down in verse 17. Manoah's about to ask another question and not get another answer. And, and this is going to help you too. Because we need to acknowledge that there's elements of kingdom mystery. You're not supposed to figure it all out. He's God. He's, he's bigger than your brain, the smartest one in the room. Which one of you is the smartest in the room? Would you raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> the, the, the most enlightened, smartest, spiritually in tune person in the world is going to have to live with some mystery in the kingdom. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, that's faith. He's not doubting. He says, when your words come true, we may honor you. Please remember, he still thinks that this is a prophet sent from God. Now, also know this. You're going to find out in, in scriptural times and even in different parts of the land and parts of the globe right now, to ask and to learn somebody's name was often seen as an advantage. If I know your name, I've, I've kind of got a piece of you. That's, it's very common in other parts of the world, and it certainly was in the Near East um, in ancient times, that sometimes people ask their name because of an advantage. 
that they wanted to get, or at the very le least, it was a, a step towards putting the relationship on equal ground. And so Manoah still seems to be trying to get in on equal ground with this prophet that he thinks is visiting him, but ultimately, he's, he's just asking more questions. Um, I'm, I'm not going to put this on Mr. Manoah, but I'll put it on me, and you can put it on you if it fits. Some of us are addicted to clarity. <laughs> Robbie, what's going on over there, man? I see you. <laughs> We got something going on down there with Robbie and Katrina. There's inside jokes. But we're addicted to clarity. We want God to tell us everything beforehand. We don't just want to know everything. We want to know it before we need to know it. And Manoah may or may not be doing this, but I have, uh, this, is, this was my theme of 2017. I'll just give you a little insight into my walk with the Lord, is that God was withholding clarity from me so he could build courage in me. And it was Chad Norris, I've quoted him two sermons in a row. Chad Norris said, um, clarity is overrated, courage is underrated. Which one is more consistent with faith? courage. But you know what? Most of us would prefer clarity. Most of us would prefer, and Oswald Chambers said this, um, we control what we understand. Is it then any wonder that we want to understand everything? Because when you understand something, you don't really need a whole lot of faith. And, and what God is doing in our lives is he's building faith, he's building trust, he's building intimacy. And intimacy with the Lord doesn't primarily come through data, it comes through experience. Experience where we are decreased and he increases. So Manoah is asking a good question here. He's like, I want to know you, Mr. Prophet, angel of the Lord, whatever you are. I want to know you. Will you tell me your name? So let's see how God responds, okay? Let's just see what the Lord does. Verse 18, this is where we're going to experience times where we just can't grasp God. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, that makes zero sense to me and you. Because he didn't say, I'm not going to tell you my name, but he seems to have said, I'm not going to tell you my name. So there's a little bit of verbal poetic interaction going on between the Lord and Manoah, but, but rest assured, Manoah's trying to get the name out of the visitor, and the visitor, who happens to be Yahweh, happens to be God the Son, says to him, this is the paraphrase, you want to know my name, do you? You can't handle me or my name. That's what he's saying to him. He's saying, it's too wonderful for you. He's literally, I mean, listen, that doesn't sound like the... God of the 21st century American church. The God of the 21st century American church, you know, is, is indulgent. He never wants to make us uncomfortable. The God of the 21st century American church is always wanting your, you know, your hair to be perfect, your, your skin to be clear, your teeth to be white, your body to be strong, and you to be impressive, and you to never have a difficult day, and everybody applauds you as you wake up in the morning, and they're standing by the mailbox going, rah, 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 have a great day. That's the, that's the portrayal, the mischaracterization of the God of the 21st century, that he would never do anything to make any of us uncomfortable. 
If I remember correctly, he actually said to all of us, pick up your cross every day and follow me or you can't be my disciple. So when we compare that call of Jesus on our lives, which is a call to die, die to ourselves, it should be no wonder that he looks at Manoah and, and he says to him, you can't handle me, man. You cannot handle me. You think you want to know who I am. You want me to reveal myself verbally to you. You, you don't need to know my name. It is above your pay grade. That's what he tells him. I mean, I know that's a paraphrase, but that is the spirit of it. And interestingly enough, Manoah got the message because he didn't say anything. That's exactly what happened. So let's get down into the last part. And let's see that also the culture of heaven produces fire and awe. Because, man, this thing ends so powerfully. It began with simple human obedience. But it's about to end with the most supernatural event Manoah had ever seen in his life. It's amazing what obedience will lead you into. We think obedience is just kind of a sidebar issue, kind of a, yeah, well, we'll do our best. But, friends, you need to go after your own obedience as if your very soul depended on it. Now, I'm not being legalistic and I'm not preaching works. What I'm saying is we are all crying out for God and we're saying, God, I want to know you. Lord, I, I, I want to press in. I want to experience you. I want to I sense everything I can sense about you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to hear mine. We long for intimacy with the invisible God. And so we want him. But listen, let's be reasonable about this. If we're living in disobedience, what we're asking God to do, if I'm living in disobedience and I know it, I'm not talking about a struggle, repentance, confession, and, and, and a restoration. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about patterns in my life that are no or outside of the will of God. And, and I'm living like that, but I'm saying, bless me, Lord, with intimacy. Come near, oh Jesus. Show me favor. Use me. Fill me. Spill me. Thrill me. Lord, do just, God, I, wanna, I just want all that you've got. But we know we're living in disobedience. Let me tell you what we're actually doing. We're actually asking the Lord to endorse our hypocrisy. We're saying, God, ignore all of that, but give me your best. And what the Lord says in love, he's not mad. He's not, he's not fuming. He's not, he's, he's not even ignoring us. But what he's saying is he's saying, I love you so much. I can't give you what you're asking because where you are right now, you can't steward it. You, you just can't steward that right now. So what does he do? It's not that he doesn't bless us. He blesses us with a, uh, lots of opportunity to repent and get obedient. And again, that's uncomfortable. Um, nobody here is, is perfect. But we, we, we have to be genuine and we have to be authentic with the Lord. We don't make up for the area of disobedience in our life by amping up the other areas where we love to be obedient, like a distraction. Lord, I'm, I'm like at level 12 over here in these areas. I hope you don't notice this area. I, I, we would never say it like that, but listen, it, it, it happens. And it's such fertile ground for the enemy to come in and cast dispersions and doubt and accusation about you to yourself, about God. And 
So our disobedience, our disobedience is a is an open door for the thief to come in and plunder us. Our obedience is the gateway to favor and blessing. So that's where we started. We started with Mr. and Mrs. Manoah being called to obedience, and they're working towards that. Now look what happens. So, yeah, let me just let the text speak here. Look down in verse number 19. So here comes the fire and awe. Manoah displayed consecration with this visitor. He's about to find out it's God, but... So verse 19, Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and he offers it on the rock to the Lord who works wonders and Manoah and his wife were watching. And so Manoah is humbling himself. He's going to go ahead and he's going to, he, he takes the goat and he takes grain and he's going to follow the, the guidelines for making a burnt offering unto the Lord, a grain offering or meal offering, and then the, the offering of the goat. And there's a rock there that serves as a makeshift altar. Please remember, this actually happened on planet Earth. This was a real moment. This is a real husband, a real wife. This is not a fairy tale. This is not Aesop. This is an actual moment between a husband, a wife, and their God. And so they, they're making a sacrificial offering unto the Lord. And so they did it. They they slayed the goat, they put the grain offering, and they lit the fire. What is Manoah doing there? He's just being humbly obedient, and he's doing what he can. Matthew Henry, however many hundred years ago, said, when you cannot do the good that you would, do the good that you can. You're not always going to be able to do for the Lord exactly what you want. You may feel like what you can do isn't enough. No, my friends, listen. He's so pleased when we do what we can. There's a lot of things I'll never be able to do. I mean, a lot. There's more things that I can't do than I can do. But you and I can do some things. And when we approach the Lord in humble obedience and we say, Lord, Maybe nobody else is impressed with this, but Lord, I'm doing what I can for you, and it really brings me great pleasure. You're so worthy, and maybe compared to others, it's small or insignificant. But Father, this is what I've got. This is what I can do in here. So that's where Manoah and his wife now are. And by the way, this scene is the first time in their whole story where they're actually doing something together. They've been really isolated, not in opposition with each other, but it's been the angel and Manoah or the angel of the Lord and Manoah's wife. And she's running to him. He's running to the angel. They haven't really gotten in unison, but it's in the setting of worship and sacrifice that they're both together. Look, it plays out right here. So Manoah receives revelation from God. Now watch this. This is cool. I want this or something like it. Come on, Lord. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching. I bet they were. They were watching. And here they are together. They fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord and Manoah said to his wife, we, we shall surely die 
for we have seen God. So give me a minute with this, okay? I've got eight minutes left, and I'm going to take my time with this. So they're, they're just laying out the goat and the grain, and the flame is going up. And I don't know exactly how it played out, but it seems to indicate, the text seems to indicate that the angelic visitor, the prophet, who you and I know is God, steps into the flame and rises up in the flame to heaven. Visibly, undeniably, supernaturally, mind-blowingly, Manoah and his wife hit their faces on the ground because they have never seen anything like that before. Now, I read that and I'm like, come on. If you let them see that, I love you. <laughs> I'll, I'll kill a goat. I mean, what, what, I, what I need to do? You know, it's like, you know, Lord, how does that happen? Because listen, you read your Bible, that doesn't happen to most people. But it really did happen to them. And so he ascends the Lord. The offering was for him. He steps into the offering and rises to heaven in the flame that is burning, consuming the offering that was laid out for his glory. God took their ignorant offering and said, I accept that. I accept that. Not only do I accept it, I'm going to show you that I accept it. And he doesn't even say goodbye. He just, he goes up. Manoah, this is the part. Do you remember where I mentioned Joy was singing something? She was singing something and it was resonating with me while we were singing it. She was, show, show me, Lord, show us, Lord, show me, Lord, show us, Lord. Manoah had been saying, tell me, Lord, tell me, Lord, tell me, Lord, tell me, Lord. And the Lord wouldn't tell him anything. Tell me your name. You can't handle my name, Manny. You just can't handle my name. And he wouldn't tell him anything. Manoah found out what his name was, not by what he said, not by what God said, by what God showed him. You see, the Lord is not obligated to reveal himself to me the way I want him to reveal himself to me. He's going to reveal himself to you and to me in the way that brings him the most pleasure, the most glory, and leaves us convinced for the rest of our days. You, you see that? So Manoah, dude's trying, but man, he's a little bit of a sourpuss. I mean, he's like, falls on his, we're going to die. Amy, this reminded me of me and you. I mean, it really did, because... Man, forgive me, but I'm a little bit like Manoah. I'm like, it's the presence of God. Ah, we're dead. And Amy's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's my papa. That's my Abba. That's my Jeff. We're not going to die. And Mrs. Manoah says, hey, hold on, honey. If, if he were going to kill us, he wouldn't have made the promises. He wouldn't have come and come back again and told us exactly what we needed to do, and told us what he's going to do. And this isn't in the scripture, but she might as well have said, and he wouldn't have accepted our offering just like he did. And so Manoah's thinking they're going to die, and verse 23 is, 
he got clarification from his wife. Thank God for our wives, man. I mean, I'm just... It's, it's, the, it's the end of, it's just, it's the end of their, their initial story. The next verse says, and Samson was born. And we'll get to that next week. Um, let's, let's just close this. Let's just, let's just close it out. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep listening for God because I believe two calls on your life and mine as followers of Jesus Christ who are growing in the relationship with God God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, he wants to tell us some things and he wants to show us some things. And, and again, I'll say it again. You are usually leaning more to one of those than the other. Some of you would prefer for God to, you'd encounter him, you love encounter. I do too. You love encounter. And so you're always looking for an encounter and you, you pick up on the supernatural, you pick up on his presence, you, you can sense him even when you don't see him and you, you almost always lean towards encounter. As a matter of fact, it may even be because that's the way you lean so heavily, a long message like I preach every time I preach can be frustrating for you because you're, you're much more, you're, you're ready for the, all right, let's get to the impact moment. Finally, he's done preaching, it's ministry time. Let's see what the Lord's gonna show us. I get that, man, I like that too. But if you're not careful, you may, because you're always looking for him to show you something, you may miss that he's trying to tell you something through actual words, through actual instruction, through an actual Bible message. And then others in the room, man, you've got your note, a notepad, you've got a red pen, a blue pen, a green pen, and a black pen. <laughs> And depending on what kind of thing I'm saying, okay, that's a red color statement, that's a green color statement, right? And, you're and you take notes, and they're awesome. You say, I could preach this message better than he just preached it. My notes are awesome. And because you're listening, and you hear him, and he speaks to you. And some of you will hear a sermon or hear a, a song, and the words are getting in you, and he's speaking to you. He's using words to speak to you about how good he is and how much he loves you or whatever else he wants to talk about. So you, you lean always, you're always listening. And so when God wants to show you something, you may not be as receptive. You may be like, I don't know what they're doing down there, down front. You know, what is that? Why is she laid out on the floor? Why is, why is that one dancing? Is that guy speaking in tongues over there? What is going, what is, and it's stuff that's happening and he's showing people something, but because you're so word-oriented, and that's just your natural bend, you may miss when God wants to show you something of his power that doesn't have anything to do with a sermon, doesn't have anything to do with a song, doesn't have anything to do with your native language, but it's just God rising up in the flame, ascending to heaven, and getting your attention to go up with it. And when you realize who he is, boom, you're on your face on the ground. Why? Because he's shown you something. So as we leave here tonight, this is, I just spent an hour just to get to this point. Let's look for him. Let's listen for him. Don't pick between the two. Expect him to do both in your life. And I'm going to tell you something. They started in obedience. They ended up in on-their-face worship in the presence of the Almighty with full revelation of who he was. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet.